Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in Western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. Welcome, Deacon Greg. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, especially your role in the parish. Well, I am uh, Deacon Greg Sass. I am a member at Our Lady of the Black Hills in Piedmont. I've been ordained uh, 10 years uh, in the parish. Uh, again, I help with things that people normally expect to see deacons to do from helping at mass, uh, helping with faith formation. I'm involved in various uh, commissions and, and parish activities. Uh, a little bit about my family. I've been married. It'll be 39 years this year. I've got uh, two kids. Both are married. Uh, my son has uh, two uh, children, uh, and my daughter has three children, uh, ages anywhere from two to five. So uh, they are pretty active when we go see them. For uh, myself, uh, I do work at the Diocese of Rapid City. I am the director of uh, permanent diaconate, uh, which also includes diaconate formation and other things that the bishop finds for me to do. Uh, some other things that I do outside of the parish uh, involve things like I am on the Sioux Spiritual Center board. Uh, also, there's just, uh, again, a lot of the things I do is actually all related to church. There's uh, just not much outside other than my wife and I do like to travel and and do some things like that. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about myself. That's great. It sounds like you're a very busy, devoted member of your church. Um, I am curious now with your grandchildren, do they call you Deacon Grandpa? No. Oh. Uh, my, uh, my son and his wife, um, they have different names for each of the grandparents so they can identify. Yeah, makes so sense. I'm Pappy. Aww. That's great. Uh, my wife's Grammy. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> so uh, my daughter, she kind of kept our tradition. So I'm Grandpa Sass and my <laughs> wife's Grandpa uh, Sass or Grandma, Grandma Sass. Sass. So. Oh, that's great. Oh, well, I would like to hear more about um, this role of diaconate form director of diaconate mm -hmm. formation. This means that you, you spend a lot of time with the deacons that are in formation and so you have a, a very unique perception of that whole process. Prior to uh, me joining the diocese in 2017, uh, the diaconate formation in our diocese was all done by the Jesuits, uh, which started back actually in 1972 uh, when the Jesuits had started. And they just, again, with the number of uh, Jesuits decreasing. Uh, so then I was hired uh, to help Father Brian Christensen uh, kind of relook at the diaconate formation program in 2017. And so looking at what we could do there, uh, there was already a class that had started. And so looking at bringing in all the requirements that we need to meet and how to do that, because Father Brian had been out of the diocese for three years over in Rome. And so he comes back and literally the weekend after he gets back, we're starting deacon formation. And so part of that was actually uh, we incorporate the uh, Veritas Splendor Institute, the VSI program, because a lot of the things that are taught in that three-year program are, is also required by the diaconate formation. And so we just kind of incorporated that in, into the formation program. And so 
the deacons uh, candidates. Uh, they do meet once a month uh, for, you know, throughout the year, except after VSI, they continue on with diaconate specific formation. And so it gets to be a long weekend for the candidates. Uh, some actually come in on Friday night, and then they don't leave until uh, late Sunday afternoon. Uh, and so it's a, it's a busy weekend uh, for them, and it's a little busy weekend uh, for me also. Uh, and then actually last year in August, uh, Father Brian Christensen, with uh, being also the rector at the cathedral, uh, he uh, had talked to the bishop, and he stepped down, and so I also took over the role as director of the permanent uh, diaconate formation. And so as part of that, now I pick up all the things that he had been doing. Uh, we have looked at a lot of different things um, because the new directory, national directory, which is our guidance for how to form deacons, uh, updated last year. The USCCB bishops had came out with a new directory. And so we actually are re-looking at and, and made some changes to our deacon formation program because of that. So one of the things they required, uh, the formation program is actually about five years now. Uh, we have an inquiry phase where we just give them some basic information about the diaconate. Then we go into what uh, the USCCB kind of calls like a spirituality year. And so as part of that, we actually have them now doing core on core. Uh, which Manny and the diocese are learning about because they need to work on learning their prayer life uh, and helping discern, is this what God asking me to do? So what is a, a man who is being called to diaconate? If you were to say, had someone walk up and say, okay, what is a deacon? The basic, what is a deacon? What would you tell them? I mean, because you've got to know what a deacon is before you can even discern what if you're can be part of the diaconate. True. And so that's often a question I ask them. What do you say a deacon is? So what would you say a deacon is? What do you, what's your perception of a deacon? You know what? I have to tell you that the best definition of a deacon I have ever heard is a bridge between the laity and the clergy. That's a good definition. And so if we start looking at the diaconate, because that's actually a question that I ask during the inquiry phase, very, very first question, what do you say a deacon is? To kind of understand what their understanding of a deacon is. And so then I just go in to explain, if you start looking at that word, it has a Greek background uh, that actually just really means kind of a common uh, servant uh, in all reality. Uh, and so uh, really a deacon is just a servant. And so that brings in the title of our podcast. Correct. I will serve. Exactly. That's exactly uh, where that came from. And so, uh, yeah, we really do look at uh, the diaconate from that perspective. We're, we're servants. Uh, when you look at a deacon, uh, there are actually three levels of ordination. So uh, the very first is to the diaconate, uh, then it's to the presbyterate, and then it's to the episcopate, the bishop. And so I've had uh, very people say, well, how many saints have been deacons? And I just ask, how many have been priests or bishops? They're all been ordained as deacons first. Right. As part of that. And so they're kind of, oh, I didn't know that. 
Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, again, you know, John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul or St. John Pope Paul II, he actually talked about the diaconate as the church services sacramentalized. It's really, mm -hmm. it's the servant, uh, you know, all of us at our baptism are called to serve. Correct. And so the diaconate is kind of making that a sacrament almost out of that from that perspective. That's beautiful. I, it's very, uh, I would have to say probably it would change the perception of a lot of people of the diaconate mm -hmm. to realize that we are all called to serve, but that becomes sacramental in and, the giving of their, in that vocation. Yeah, well, and, and so even your, your definition of a deacon, that combination between the, the clergy and the laity, the deacons should be leading the clergy to do, or the laity to do what they should be doing, going out and meeting people, evangelizing all those things that we, you know, serving others, the deacons should be helping lead people to that. That's beautiful. Okay, so now we know what a deacon is. Okay, what are the qualifications? Well, there's uh, a lot of different qualifications. Uh, part of it, uh, and again, you go back, there's various documents out there on, on what are the requirements uh, for the diaconate. So in order to be ordained to the permanent diaconate, uh, you have to be 35 years old. So uh, if a five-year program means that a 30-year-old could probably, you know, begin diaconate formation, mm -hmm. you have to be active in your parish, uh, doing something, lectors, you know, some kind of involvement in the parish. In other words, serving, serving. as a, yep. somehow in your parish. Uh, if you've been married, again, uh, because a deacon can be married, and so you have to be married like long enough that you know it's a good, stable marriage. And the, and the wife actually has a very significant part in the whole process. Because the way the church sees marriage as two or become one, she has to actually give permission uh, in the process uh, at various stages in there. Uh, there's different other things that we will, you know, look at uh, across the board. But again, it's really, it's, you know, an active Catholic and not a recent convert. It has to be, again, typically five years is kind of common and recommended by your pastor also. Right. So a man with a, a faith that is a foundation, a firm foundation in his faith that has a servant's heart. Yes. That's that. Well, that I know quite a few men who would meet that first stage anyway of the requirement. So now now you've got these men coming in and, and discerning this call to the diaconate. And, and you said that there's, I mean, the, the formation is the five years, yes. different steps that you have mm -hmm. to go through. That seems overwhelming. It can be. Uh, but also the church often moves slower than a lot of people would like. But there's real wisdom in the church moving in a slow, methodical way. Because the men coming in, you know, they're discerning, yep, this is what God's wanting me to do, or they're, you know, th and then the church is also discerning on them, is this right. what God wants them to do? I had one, uh, at one event I was at, I had a deacon that I was talking about the diaconate, and, and if God wants you to be a deacon, uh, you'll become a deacon, because it's the easiest way for you to get to heaven. And I'm thinking, if this is the easy way, <laughs> sometimes I wonder what the hard way would have been like, and I'm glad not to have to experience that. I can understand that that concept of if this is the easiest way to get to heaven, well, I'm glad I picked this route. Or God, I'm glad God put me on the path I am supposed to be on. Correct. Yes. Uh, okay. So the, we have the deacon. He's in formation. There's classes that are required. You, you mm -hmm. spoke about that, the requirements of the VSI, the requirements of additional diaconate training. 
What is there anything for his family? Well, we do encourage the wives to attend as much of this as they often can. Um, in the past, it was actually a requirement. The wives had to teach all, attend all the formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have to get practice homilies or anything like that. But again, attending <laughs> that it... That might be, be awkward. <laughs> that would be. That would be. But part of that is because oftentimes the wives of deacons are the ones that get approached first. And by having them fully and properly formed, they can help, again, fulfill their baptismal servant role of helping people. And then if it's something they think, okay, maybe we go talk to the deacon or maybe we go talk to the, uh, the priest, having that formation really helps them uh, be able to do that things because oftentimes uh, the wives are hesitant. They don't really want to be in that role. But by having the formation now they are more comfortable with that. And over the five years, they actually become very good uh, companions with that deacon. Yeah, they're walking that same journey. They are. They need to support. Yes. You know, the, the role of that sacrament of marriage, there needs to be unity there on all fronts. Plus, it also helps for them to sometimes, because a lot of deacons and deacon candidates, they are always want to go serve. Sometimes you need some reins pulled in. And that ends up being a significant part of the purpose or the help that the wives can provide to them is rein them in a bit uh, because, again, we want to go out and do whatever we can to serve God. And sometimes God doesn't want us to serve that. Our wives often remind us that, um, no, we're going to go on a vacation. We're not going to have you go to that conference or whatever it might be. Right. So I can see that it, it is a, a valuable resource for the wives to be formed in that yes. vocational expectation so as to keep their husbands just a little more grounded. But it also even helps. So uh, in my particular case, my wife uh, is a retired nurse. So there's times going into medical type things. She's much more comfortable uh, bringing up some of those things. And so there are certain ministries that going in together actually makes the ministry more effective. That's beautiful. So it's a it's a call within a call. It is, yes. Well, that's great. Okay, so now we've talked about formation. We've talked about the great candidate option, you know, what they have to have. And you say, well, you expect that a deacon would do everything a deacon would do. What does a deacon do? I mean, he can't, what, or better question, what can't he do? A deacon can do a lot of things. Again, because of the ordination, they're allowed to bless other people. Normally, uh, just in the church's teaching and stuff, so a, a husband can bless his wife and his children, but they can't go bless someone else. Uh, but as a deacon, because of, of holy orders, I can bless other people. I can bless you know material someone wants. That happens actually here, uh, being I work at the chancery. People are at the mustard seed, they come over and they, can I get this blessed? And oftentimes I'm the only clergy here and I can bless, you know, whether they bought a rosary or a necklace or whatever it is they, they want blessed. I can do those things. I can also, just with the faculties, what it's called, the authority by the bishop. So I can do things like baptisms, uh, preside at, at funerals. Um, there's things like those, benediction uh, at the end of ordination or at the end of adoration can do uh, benediction. Uh, so again, that's part of that blessing that happens. And so there's a lot of things like that we can do. Now, what we can't do is, uh, while I can certainly hear you confess your sins to me, I can't do anything about it. Uh, it takes a priest in order to absolve you of your sins. 
Uh, I can't reside at Mass. Uh, so, you know, while I'm often at Mass assisting, uh, it's actually priestly brings down and changes that, you know, water, uh, wine and mm-hmm. bread into the body and blood of Jesus. That's a priestly function. But you can preside at a communion service. I can preside at a communion service. And if there would be one that would happen, uh, the preference is that it would be uh, a deacon, although a lay person can also do that. But there are there's differences in there. Uh, some of that's because of the blessings. Right. So when a deacon has these this role that he must fulfill in the parish, he's assigned to a parish, and he has this role he must fulfill in the parish, but he also has a role he must fulfill out in obligation to his family. Yes. Who, which one comes first? Is it the role of the deacon or the obligation to the family? Well, I would say it kind of depends. Uh, and the reason it depends is because once you're ordained, you are always a deacon. Uh, and that's a deacon is who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. But there are times when you do have to kind of make those decisions and, you know, which, which is a higher priority. And so in that process, uh, part of the things that active deacons that are active in the parishes, they actually have a ministry agreement uh, with each pastor that's renewed every year. And so they will make a commitment that I will spend X number of hours in ministry. Uh, and it's, okay, I'm going to preach maybe once a month. I will assist at baptisms and funerals um, as available. And that's really an agreement between the pastor and the deacon and his wife. All, all I have to sign that. And then the bishop actually reviews that and actually does the final okay that this is appropriate. So a lot of times it's the ministry agreement helps make some of those decisions um, on there on when, you know, okay, which is a higher priority? Which do I do? Uh, but again, it's just, it's a conversation uh, between maybe the, you know, the wife, uh, maybe the pastor. Uh, and so it really, it's just a good conversation, like any type of relationship would be. Yeah, it's like a job review every year. Here's your expectations. Here's how, you know, if you're overwhelmed, what do we need to change? Yes. yes. All right, so a deacon is a, a great benefit to the parish. To be a, The parish is receiving blessings of, without number, by having a deacon assigned to it. Yes. What are some of those practical things, the practical ways that the, those benefits are for that parish? I mean, aside from you being on the altar and assisting at mass, they see that every yes. Sunday. Yes. There's a lot of behind the scenes benefits a parish receives that maybe they're not aware a common parishioner is not aware of. Well, so as a deacon, I am required to do part of the Liturgy of the Hours. The minimum I'm required to do is morning and evening prayer. And so part of that is you're praying for the church worldwide and your parish specifically. And so you're getting prayers that you don't necessarily even know you're getting on a regular basis, uh, simply from that. Uh, There's a lot of people uh, that get homebound visits, you know, as you get older or hospitalized or whatever, uh, they can be go out and do a lot of those types of visits. Uh, Deacons help with marriage prep, and unless you're preparing to get married, you don't necessarily even realize or know some of those things that are out there. So there's just a lot, and again, as a deacon, because you're ordained, you are automatically a catechist. You are Mm -hmm. authorized by the church to teach. And so while, yes, it might be in a big classroom formation, there's also one-on-one. 
that you might be teaching someone uh, on an individual basis, that you meet someone, they have some questions, you answer them, you teach them. I think if people realize the benefit that they receive from a deacon in their parish, you would probably have a lot more people shaking your hand on Sunday thanking you for all that you do. Well, it also, with parishes that have deacons and they can preach once a month, that takes a burden off the pastor. Right. uh, Because they don't have to spend the time preparing. And so they subsequently get a little breather. Uh, They're people too. They need to have a break every now and then. There's nothing wrong with a refreshed priest. Yes. And so... Even though they're presiding at the Mass, not yeah. having prepared a homily, uh, because, again, a well-prepared homily takes, takes time. time. And that just frees them up so they can relax a little bit um, on those weekends when they have a deacon preaching. So God has, he works in the hearts of not only the man that is discerning the diaconate, but also on the heart of the wife. Correct. But you, I'm sure you have seen in your life at various stages and in various roles that you've played as a deacon, where God is is very much working in your life to prepare you for that unique call to the ministry that you are doing. Even just in general, there are people who are more inclined to music. There's more people who are just can teach children. There's more people. You are prepared for your unique role you are being called into with your strengths, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Has there been a clear instant in your life where you can say, oh, God prepared me for that moment? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a particular moment. Um, So one of the things is I've become a spiritual director, a, a, a trained spiritual director. And so part of that was now we have the School of Spiritual Direction here in the Covenant School of Spiritual Direction uh, at the Sioux Spiritual Center. And so even though I went become a, a trained spiritual director so I could help people on a one-on-one basis very directly uh, in their spiritual life, leading them toward God, now I'm out here training others to become spiritual directors. And so it's kind of, you can think of that pebble that drops into the, you know, just spreads. And so that was not what I intended (laughs) when I began looking at spiritual direction, but that ripple has just been, it's going to be growing and we're actually going to be graduating our first class in September of 2023. And that's beautiful. And that's all because God, you know, gave you that call within the call within the call to go become a spiritual director. And now the diocese as a whole is going to benefit. Correct with the more spiritual directors available. I have to ask, what has been the most surprising part of your ministry? The most surprising part of the ministry. Quite honestly, uh, people often tell me uh, they disagree when I tell them I'm an introvert, and yet I get up and preach a homily. And at this point, I rarely use notes. And being an introvert, that just takes a lot. To, to, I mean, if you're, if you're a true introvert, doing something like that is very difficult. That's a lot of energy. And yet, <laughs> it's very easy because of the graces God right. has given me. Right. Which it would have probably been harder had you tried to stand up there without that grace, and you wouldn't have been able to do it. I, it would have been impossible. Yeah, that's great. I like that. I mean, God, he equips the called, as they say. That's right. (laughs) All right. Do you have advice for someone who might be considering the diaconate, what they should, you know, obviously take it to prayer, but 
what advice can you give them besides the that? Well, again, you have to have that conversation if you're married with your spouse. Um, you know, be active in something, uh, you know, whether it's lector, whether it's, you know, uh, extraordinary minister, helping with homebound ministry, any of those things. Go out and actually kind of try some of those things that you might be asked to do as a deacon and just see where that leads you. Uh, again, certainly have conversations with your pastor. Uh, they're just, you have to look at those things. Uh, but again, like you said, uh, you know, really develop that relationship with, with God. That daily prayer is so vital that if you're not having a regular daily conversation with God, how do you know what God's asking you to do? And so that really, I mean, the foundational, that really does, like you said, start with prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then go out and do some things. Become involved. Uh, see what God is asking you to do. And kind of find out what your strengths and weaknesses are. Because there's maybe an area, even within the diaconate, some deacons are called to do different things depending on what they uh, where their strengths are. And so kind of just keep an eye out for those things and pay attention. What gives you joy when you're doing those things? And what things do you just you grit your teeth and, okay, this is not... Uh, but be careful because sometimes those things you don't want to do is exactly what God wants you to do. That's where he's prepping you to go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely um, don't tell God your plans, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> he, he will... He will quickly tell you his. Yes. Well, I think it's important, not only, of course, you start with prayer, you go out and you you uh, practice, if you will, what it would be like you know, in those different ministries, but I have a feeling you also have to have a moment of quiet and listening for that call. When you felt that call, was it clear or was it just a quiet voice in the background? Well, I've got two things I can talk about that. So the very first was in October of 2005. By then I'd been in the lay ministry formation program. I'd started developing the practice of doing morning and evening prayer and I'm reading doing evening prayer and it happens to be Psalm 116. And in Psalm 116 verses 14 and 18 are identical. My vows to the Lord I will fulfill before all his people. When I hit that the second time, I had a very clear vision that God had given me of me standing in an elb and a stole in front of a church. And I said, nah, -uh. nope. <laughs> Deacon Greg, that's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you'd think. You would uh, think. But it was uh, about three years later, and this is even a little more precisely. I had kind of decided, yeah, I'm not going to do this deacon thing. That just isn't what it is. That's for others. That's for others. That's not what God wants mm -hmm. me to do. And so it was September 8th. Uh, if you know what September mm -hmm. 8th is, it's the Nativity of Mary. Yeah. 2008, 610 in the morning. Oh, wow. So kind of precise. This is very precise. And so doing morning prayer... And I don't remember the psalm, and I'm, I'm trying to pray it. Now I'm just trying to read it. I get through the one section, and after about four or five times, I'm going like word by word when I realize there's someone next to me on the couch. And I look over, and it's Mary. And Mary's pointing across the room, and I look where she's pointing, and Jesus is wink, pulling his finger like, follow me. Kind of hard to say no at that point. Oh, wow. So. Well, thank you for saying I will serve. You bet. <laughs>
This has been a fascinating conversation. I have learned a lot about deacons, the formation, and just in general, that servant's heart that's needed to give to the church and how important deacons are to the church. This is a very important ministry within the church. Yes, and, and it kind of completes it with, um, with having all three roles uh, of the you know, diaconate, the, the priest, and the, and the bishop. So if someone is interested in more information about the diaconate, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest way is if you go to the website, uh, the diocese website, mm -hmm. and uh, just you can click under vocations, permanent diaconate, you'll find my contact information. Uh, there's some information about some of these other things we've talked about available there. Uh, they can email me. Uh, and again, they can also talk to their pastors. Mm -hmm. And there's usually information in just about every church about the permanent diaconate. There, there is, yes. And so, yep, we have uh, brochures out there for them. And so, uh, yeah, again, ask your pastor uh, if you're interested in the diaconate, and they will get you started or get me in contact with me. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Deacon Sass. I really appreciate it. And again, I'm looking forward to hearing what you know, the journey of everybody else, uh, the future uh, on the podcast of all the other deacons you'll be talking to. Uh, and uh, here, I'm interested in hearing their stories too. So yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be the most well-versed person about deacons in the entire diocese when this is done. And I'm going to count that as God has gifted me with, with a blessing. So you might have to join the formation team. <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you. If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the permanent diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605-343-3541, extension 2228, or visit rapidcitydiocese.org slash deacon.